looking at the hierarchy of outcomes for your food scraps, you know, ideally you're feeding a person. If you can't feed a person, ideally you're feeding an animal of some form, you know, helping it feed some other living thing. If you can't feed that, at least feed the soil. Don't feed the trash. Welcome to Hey Change, the podcast where we question the truth and find happiness in new realities. Because changing who you are and working for a better world can be a lot of fun. And it's all about bringing that positive mindset to the table. So who do you want to be? What kind of world do you want to live in? And are you ready to fight with me for this beautiful planet that we call home? You can do this. We can do this. And I'm so excited to have you here on this journey with me. My name is Anne Therese. And this is my podcast, Hey Change. Did you know that one in five fruits and vegetables are considered too ugly for grocery stores, meaning that billions of pounds of fresh fruits and veggies every year never make it to a store and most likely won't get eaten. What a waste, right? Especially since the food we waste is responsible for roughly 8% of all global emissions. And according to Project Drawdown, which is a list of 100 solutions to how we can reverse global warming, reducing food waste is number three on that list. That's huge. So if you want to learn more about the subject and also learn how you can help reduce your food waste, this is an episode for you. I'm so honored to have Riley Brock on my show, the content manager and communicator at Imperfect Produce, an awesome company that sources ugly and imperfect fruits and vegetables that wouldn't make it to a store and then deliver them to people's doors. And supporting a company like Imperfect Produce is definitely a way to help solve the problem, but there are many more. And in this episode, we talk about some of the things that you can do right now, starting in your home. Like how to shop your fridge and pantry, and what that even means, why pickling food is a go-to, the science behind composting, and also the beautiful challenge of buying just enough. And one more thing before we dive in. Imperfect Produce and I really want you to try out this awesome service, so they are offering all Hey Change listeners 40% off their first box with the code HEYCHANGE, and that is all in one word, HEYCHANGE. I'm subscribed to the boxes myself, and guys, it's amazing. You can decide how big or how small you want the box to be, if you want it weekly or bi-weekly, if you want a mix of veggies and fruits, or just pure veggies, and now they even let you customize your box a few days before delivery so that you can add on any favorites you may have that they have in season right now. What's more? Oh yeah, if you happen to have too much food laying around or if you're traveling, for example, you can easily pause a delivery on their website without any fuss. So head over to Imperfect Produce and check if they are delivering to your area. And if so, use the code HEYCHANGE, all in one word, for 40% off your first box. All right, shall we? Are you ready? Let's learn a thing or two about food, our environment, and how to reduce or food waste. This is Riley Brock from Imperfect Produce.
Alright, welcome back to my little closet, and welcome to my home, Riley. It's really great to be here, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming over, how are you doing? Doing really well today, it's a little bit chilly in SF, but uh, no complaints, it's just, a Friday. I know, we are just talking about, like, it's funny how summer in San Francisco is probably the coldest summer I've ever experienced, but... Yeah, there's that Mark Twain quote, the coldest winter I ever spent was summer in San Francisco, but mm-hmm. let, apparently he never said that, it's like misattributed to Mark Twain. Which oh, I, really? I think that's amazing. That's, oh, well, it's still alive and people yeah. are saying it, so... Yeah. Anything sounds better if you attribute it to Mark Twain. Oh, for sure. I <laughs> love that. Well, so we are here to talk about something called imperfect produce. And this is a topic that I am very passionate about, especially lately, because I found out a lot about the food industry and the environment and whatnot. And um, so for anyone who doesn't know, what is imperfect produce and what do you guys do? Yeah, so something a lot of people don't know is one in five fruits and vegetables are considered too ugly for grocery stores. And what this means is that literally billions of pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables every year don't make it to stores and often don't even get eaten just because of how they look, right? So Imperfect Produce is a company um, based out of here in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And what we do is we source ugly and surplus fruits and vegetables that often would go to waste and we deliver them right to people's doors. So we're all about reducing food waste, helping people eat better and get more comfortable in the kitchen and helping support farmers, right? Who are spending a lot of time and energy growing delicious produce and you know, really helping them make a better living off of everything they grow. Which is awesome. I am on their program. I just received my second box the other day and it's filled with delicious vegetables and fruit that's all locally grown. Um, but so, what can an imperfect vegetable fruit look like? Like, what's an example of that's not, you know, good enough for a store? That's a really good question. And a lot of people think when we're talking about ugly fruits and vegetables, it must be ridiculous looking Franken foods of crazy shapes and scarring. The reality is it's a lot more subtle than you'd think. Little things like uh, size is one of the biggest reasons stuff goes to waste or gets undervalued, being a little bit too small or a little bit too big. Grocery stores essentially want to buy one or two sizes of a given item, whether that's an apple or a potato, because they want uniformity, they want predictability, they want things to stack in really even displays. You know, there's a saying in the grocery industry, pile it high and watch it fly. And so the grocery mentality is very much based on building these gorgeous, symmetrical pyramids of produce that look great and attract buyers, which is all well and good. But what that means is that Everything, you know, if you're looking at like a bell curve of the produce world, everything in the far left and the far right, the little stuff and the huge stuff doesn't fit that mold, right? So all the perfect stuff ends up in stores and anything else ends up, you know, having trouble finding a home, right? And so... There's just as delicious. It's just as good, yeah. So uh, that's a really common one is size. Another one is scarring. You know, anything with super uh, superficial scarring on the surface, you know, stores don't want to stock that because they think it looks bad and that people want to buy it. Some of it will get juiced or processed. But, you know, that's a big if, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't really have a processing market or a juicing market. So little things like scarring being the wrong size or shape, you know, a carrot that's like super curvy, like stores don't want that. They want just things to look predictable and familiar because they think uh, shoppers won't buy them if they look otherwise. I mean, I must say I was a bit disappointed when I got my first one because I was expecting it to be like funny looking vegetables. It was too normal looking. That's <laughs> common like, feedback. I was like, what is wrong with this? It's, it looks just perfect to me. I don't know what to say else than that. Um, so that's, that's it's funny. So I feel like we just live in this world where we expect things to be so perfect that any kind of flaw in any direction just isn't good enough. 
and it's terrible. Absolutely. It's a really good point. And I think it speaks to the power of social conditioning. You know, it's as if if all you ever do is get produce in grocery stores and you've never seen a fruit or a vegetable outside of a store, like you'd be forgiven for thinking this is what it all looks like. You know, it'd be like walking down the street and if everyone you see is a model, you just assume, oh, wow, everyone looks like this, right? But the reality is not everyone's a model. Not all uh, all fruit is free of blemishes and the same size. And anyone who has ever gardened or had a lemon tree or something instinctively knows what we're doing at Imperfect. They get it. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll see our lemons and say, oh, yeah, that looks like my grandma's lemon tree or our bell peppers. You know, that looks like the bell peppers I tried growing. You know, they're all different shapes and sizes. And some of them looked like Muppets. And that's OK. You know, they're beautiful in their own way. They're not lesser just because they look different. I think I tend to like them even more. Right? They, they have to give character. Absolutely. And you want to love them. Yeah. It's like, this is a special one. This yeah. is going to taste really good for my dinner. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's a piece of plastic, you know, that's like on one of those fake fruit displays. It mm-hmm. looks like something real that came out of the ground. So do you have any, like, facts on if you were to order a box from you guys, how much can you save? Like, how can, much can you help the environment in terms of that? In terms of, in terms of the total amount of produce? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it really depends what you want. Like we offer a wide range of sizes. So if you're a single person, you can get, you know, maybe like an eight pound box deliver every week or every other week. But if you have a big house, a bunch of roommates or a family, you know, you could get a 20 plus pound box and, you know, just like cook your way through it all. Be good for the week. Be good for the week. Um, and yeah, it's, it's worth noting that all of our stuff is cheaper than stores. So you're going to be saving, you know, between 30 and 50% on average on uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, which especially I think on the organic side is huge because organic produce can get really pricey and mm-hmm. it's not something everybody has access to, right? If you don't if you're not fortunate enough to have a, a produce market or a farmers market or a whole foods near you, you might not have access to organic produce. And so we're all about uh, increasing that access and making something that, you know, historically has been like harder to get, more affordable and accessible for everybody. Something I really like about it too is that it is also seasonal, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it kind of forces me as a consumer and as a cook to be more uh, open to like different kinds of recipes and, you know, just expanding my mindset about my everyday food. Because I tend to just, when I'm, when I go to grocery store, I'm just tired. I don't really have the energy to like, hmm, what else can I, what what can I expand right now? What can I try that I haven't done before? So I I just go and reach for like what I ever get, like what I always get. And so I was like, well, if I start going using the perfect produce, I will get things that are in season right now and I'll just figure out what to cook with it. So it's also like, it's it's fun on that end, I would say, for sure. That's really great to hear. And that, that is feedback we get from a lot of people. It forces you to be adaptable. And I think adaptability in life is a huge asset, and especially in the kitchen. You know, the ability to take whatever life's throwing at you and make a delicious dinner that week or that day, even if it's really stressful, even if you're super slammed at work, like, I think that's a leg up for people. And some of the, some of my favorite feedback we get from customers is they kind of feel like they're on an episode of Chopped each week. You know, their box mm-hmm. comes, and there's that thrill of, like, what's going to be in it this week, and what can I do with it to make it awesome, you know, and kind of ride the wave and adapt to what's in season and, and figure it out. Like, I think it involves a lot more learning and flexibility than just getting the same things in the store, which I think is great. And before we move on and talk more about the environment, I, I'm just curious to know, how come you ended up working for a company like this? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I come from a food background, so I had started a small uh, food cart in college, which kind of catapulted me into the world of professional cooking. So I did that for a while. Um, I did an apprenticeship in Europe. I did 
uh, cooked my way through a couple kitchens here in the Bay Area, had a really good time, especially as a 20-something-year-old man. It's just a, it's a crazy learning experience, right? Like, I think everyone should work in the service industry at some point just because it teaches you so much. But as many people do, I did, I burnt out on it. Uh, it was just a lot of the hours, the stress, the mm-hmm. adrenaline. It's, it's all-encompassing. Um, but I knew I really loved food and I really loved communication and sharing it and kind of some of my favorite moments when I was in kitchens were actually on my days off, like talking to my friends and family about what I was learning and getting them excited about what I was excited about. So in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, how can I do something uh, for a living that combines these two things, these passions of communicating and writing uh, with with food and cooking. And so I kind of had a, a stint in event planning and that got me exposed to marketing and so the social media world. And then I saw the opening at Imperfect. And I think as with many opportunities in life, it was kind of, you know, it was a cover letter that wrote itself. It just made sense. And uh, the rest is history. That was about uh, coming up on two years now. Wow. Two years ago this September. So what exactly is it that you do from Perfect Produce? Yeah. So I work on the marketing team, on the brand team, and I'm our content manager, um, which is basically kind of the keeper of our story and the, you know, our spokesperson, our storyteller, getting out there in the world, telling people what we're doing and why it matters and how they can be involved in fighting food waste. And then also really helping inspire and empower customers, right, to be comfortable in the kitchen, excited about seasonal cooking, and and just, you know, ready to make the most of their box each week. Wow. And I think your end of things is so important because I feel like today we just created a society where we're so used to being able to just pick up a box in the grocery store and put that in the microwave and it's done, or order something to get delivered, or at least we cook what we always cooked. So to get a box with new stuff, like what do I do with this? And I feel people probably get uncomfortable with that, but it's it's all about first thing, just having the courage to try it out, or also maybe just Google a recipe online, or it doesn't have to be hard. And um, I think, because I've heard you talk in a panel before, so I know you're really passionate about this, the whole cooking part of things and knowing how to use to its fullest whatever mm-hmm. food we buy and to go back into the environmental aspect of it. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned that one out of five vegetables are not perfect enough to be you know, brought to a store. And also I happen to know that about 40% of all food that is produced gets thrown away, which is just insane, like 40%. Totally insane, you're right. And then also on the other end, that I think second on the list of the 100 most efficient ways to revert global warming is to reduce our, our uh, food waste. Absolutely. So, so if we can just know how to address this issue, we can actually go very far in terms of helping our planet. Um, so what are some tips you can give to people to like prevent this waste? Like how should we think about buying, um, going through grocery stores, storing, cooking, everything? Totally. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the context you just gave there because you're right. It is a very big problem. And I think in today's world with social media and the 24-hour news cycle, we're all overwhelmed with big problems, right? So I think the first step with any problem this big is realize that because it's so big, yeah, it's 40% at all levels of the food system of, of produce is going to waste or, you know, all types of food, packaged food too. But a problem that big has so many places to start addressing it. There's so many sites of intervention, whether you're an individual working at a company, working for a school, working for the government, like we can all do our part, right? So the first step I think is realizing that it's big, but it's it's digestible because it's big. Like pick pick a point to start and then keep going from there. So in terms of, you know, the individual at home, like something I think we can all do to help waste less food is rethink how we shop. And what I mean by that is 
Literally, if you're listening to this, I think the first thing you should do, open up your fridge and clean it. Clean it right now. And I know that sounds really kind of strict and rigid and maybe a weird place to start. But I think a reason a lot of us waste food is because we forget what we have. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, the fridge allows you to bring a bunch of really perishable stuff into your house and kind of hang on to it for a while. And then something gets shoved into the back of the fridge and you forget it's in there. It wilts. You buy that sauce that you use once and then it goes bad. So let's say with someone's fridge, it's like, Four bottles of sriracha sauce. Totally. Like, how do you have Absolutely. four bottles? Absolutely. Everyone has that one thing they're, they're kind of stockpiling for no reason other than they forget they've already bought it, whether that's soy sauce or cinnamon or, yeah, sriracha, ketchup. Uh, we all have it, right? So little things like just design the space that you bring food into to be cleaner and more organized, and I guarantee you that will result in you wasting less food. And, I mean, right now I'm really just speaking from personal experience. I went through a really big fridge deep clean a couple months ago, and it was one of the most humbling things I've ever done because, you know, I work at a food waste company, and I realized I was wasting food on a level much bigger than I thought I was because I forgot about stuff. I literally had too much stuff, and it was out of sight, out of mind. So I think step one is create a space that's organized and clean because it's much harder to waste stuff when you can see it all, keep track of it all, and know what's there. And that applies to your pantry, too. You know, go through your pantry and kind of consolidate some stuff, condense some containers down. You might have three things of cornstarch or, you know, four things of flour and half a package of quinoa and three different forms of brown rice. Like, consolidate them down and and really shop your pantry and your fridge before you shop the store. Mm. I think that's another thing is we're all so wedded to this convenience of being able to go to the store at any time or even order things online at any time that we we do what's convenient as opposed to what's not wasteful. And convenience often will create forms of waste, right? Like we're always kind of going to externalize uh, the waste somehow if we're not careful. So I think the big starting point, have a clean, organized kitchen space and always take inventory of what's there before you go to the store because that's how you're going to catch things before you know you start a pattern of waste you'll realize you already have something right and like go back to the time where i know at least my mom did this every sunday whatever it was she would plan out what what we would eat for the rest of the week absolutely and then she's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a bag of potatoes if there's more than one dish i can make with potatoes so that we don't let have them go to waste absolutely Um, and then if you start with like doing an inventory what you already have at home okay these carrots are starting to look like they should probably be eaten soon. What yep. can I make with a carrot tomorrow? Um, and I also something that I've been trying to tell myself. I mean, I think for my birthday, I wanted to make scones. And this one recipe I found called for rosemary. Mm-hmm. So I went to the store and got like fresh, fresh rosemary. Maybe yeah. I should have asked myself, will I make something else with rosemary in it? Or can I make yep. scones without it? Because actually they, they kept sitting on that shelf in my kitchen. Um, reminding me that you still have not used all that rosemary yep. and it was such a waste to even get it in the first place. So maybe just be more intentional too with, is this something I'm going to eat again or can I skip it? Absolutely. I really like what you just said there. I think intentionality and having just a little bit of a foresight and a little bit, little bit of a plan is huge for pre- preventing waste. You know, going in, they say, you know, going into the grocery store with a list is one of the best things you can do for both saving money, but also wasting less and even avoiding unhealthy impulse purchases. Because mm-hmm. if you have a list and a plan where, like you said, I know I'm going to make potatoes these three nights and I need bell peppers these two nights, I need cabbage these four nights, and you have a sense of the life cycle of each thing you're bringing into your house, 
you're going to end up wasting less. You're going to end up cooking more and enjoying it more. And you're not just going to grab stuff because it's there, because it's on sale, because you think maybe you'll use it. I think, you know, one of the things I'm certainly, I've been guilty of in the past is what I'd call aspirational shopping, where I'll buy five bunches of kale because I'm on a health kick and I'm thinking, oh, kale's really healthy. I got to stock up. But five bunches of kale is only good if you can eat five bunches of kale before they go bad. Mm-hmm. If otherwise you're, you're wasting the kale. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's good to buy stuff for the meals you're going to make, not the meals you would like to make ideally if you have the time, right? Because right. time time is short. Everyone is is busy with work and their personal life, so just you, be real with yourself. Like, be will realistic. I, will I do this? Like, yeah. Okay, I'm in a health crunch right now. It's Sunday night, but when it gets closer to Thursday, and I want that beer, I'm not going to reach for that kale. It's going to be the bag of chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be realistic and cut yourself a break. You know, honestly, again, I think just a little self love and compassion is a great way to start to waste less. Like. Realize that you do waste some stuff, that's okay, but find a place to start. And then I've found making a little positive change like that, whether it's cleaning your fridge or really going to the store with a list and sticking to the list, that will actually give you that little bump of endorphins. And then you, you want to do that more and you want to kind of waste less and find more ways. For sure. And also, I think to remember that stores will try to have you buy more. Yes. So that's why they say, oh, get two for five. And then yeah. sometimes I'm like, well, what's the individual price? It's two twenty-five. I'm like, so I can just get one and get the same price. But they're yeah. trying to trick you into saying, well, get two and you get a discount. Sometimes yeah. it isn't even a discount. But even if, if there is, even if you're saving 25 cents or whatever, like if you're not going to use the food, you're actually not saving money and you're you know, contributing to food waste. So I think that is also one more thing, like understand that they will try to trick you. So be more intentional on that end of the shopping as well. Totally. And I think a lot of us shop in this scarcity mindset. You know, I think with a fridge, it's really easy to stockpile anything. You know, all of us have these big pantries and big fridges. So if you're worried about, oh no, maybe there's not gonna be enough food. I have my in-laws coming over. I got to cook up a storm for them. It's easy. It's almost the default is to buy too much. So I think there's a real challenge, but also a beautiful challenge to buying just enough. Mm. It's harder. I guarantee you it is harder. And I'm speaking again from personal experience. It's a little nerve wracking sometimes to just buy the two onions instead of the four just in case. But uh, especially with stuff that's going to wilt, like you said, herbs, that's a great example. It's really easy to overstock herbs, but they're going to go bad quickly. And mm. they're not cheap, right? They're they're very perishable. So buying just enough, or if you're going to buy a lot, have a backup plan or two or three for everything you're bringing into your kitchen. That's kind of where the sweet spot is, I think. Right. And again, if you have something that's like about to go bad, maybe do a little Google research and see, what can I make with this? Yeah. Um, and talking about things that go bad because one thing also that I realized with my first package of imperfect produce is that I had to cook it fairly quickly because it was starting to go bad yeah um and I had actually already bought two packages of carrots before that and I had to just like leave those carrots alone and eat the imperfect produce carrots first because they were going bad like very quickly and I think to me that's just a healthy sign obviously because I feel like maybe again you're just just deluded in the fact like how What's the longevity of a fruit or vegetable? And maybe we have this like false picture of that because we're used to buying things in a store where, you know, it's sprayed or contaminated somehow. So I'm just a little bit curious. What would you say is the normal longevity of, let's say, a carrot? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's important to remember that not all fruits and veggies are created equal. Some can last for a really long time, and that's great. And you can use that to your advantage. You know, when you're shopping or if you're an imperfect customer customizing your box, stock up on the hearty stuff that's going to last for a while. Things like onions and garlic, if you keep them in a 
cool, well-ventilated, dark space and away from potatoes. Fun fact, they don't coexist well. Oh, really? Oh, no, yeah. I had them in the same box. Don't, <laughs> don't put them next to each other. Yeah, this is just a PSA. Uh, onions and potatoes will emit gases that the other one doesn't like, and they'll both make the other one go bad faster. So do store them separately if you can. First yeah. thing I'm doing after you leave. There we go. <laughs> I'm happy I can help. Um, but things like onions and garlic, those will last for weeks stored properly in a pantry, right? They don't even need to be refrigerated. Something like a potato or a sweet potato, again, you've got at least a week, if not more, stored properly before they start to sprout. Something like a carrot, I think it's about up to a week, again, depending how you store it. So Um, five weeks is a bad sign. Five weeks is too long, yeah. But here's the thing. I think a quote I love is um, this woman, Robin, who works at Imperfect. She runs our organic program. She says, every challenge is an invitation, right? So with food... Yes, it's a produce is inherently perishable, especially things like carrots or leafy greens. But, you know, we this isn't a new problem. Humans have been solving the problem of what to do with perishable food for thousands of years. So some of our most delicious recipes come from solving this challenge. Things like pickling, things like fermentation, preserving, cooking things down, drying things out, salting them, smoking them. There's so many ways to solve this problem. And so again, like this is a chance for you at home, I think to kind of level up your game, right? Learn how to make sauerkraut or kimchi. It's actually not that hard and it's really fun and healthy. Um, Start making pickles. I think pickles are like a gateway drug to the world of fermentation because it's easy. And the first batch you make, you're like, this is so much better than any pickle I've ever bought at the store. And then you realize that pickles are bigger than cucumbers, right? You can pickle carrots and chilies and onions and garlic. And then suddenly you're pickling everything. I was gonna say, it's been on my list to learn how to pickle carrots and stuff. Uh, I just haven't gotten to it yet. I, th- I think I'm making it too big of a deal. Yeah, that's the thing. And again, this goes back to our point earlier. You gotta make make a bite-sized piece for yourself. Start by just doing one small thing and then do more when you're ready. So, you know, pickle, pickle that one thing you have rolling around your fridge. Like, what do you have in your fridge right now that you think you could pickle? Probably a carrot. There you go. Well, so my question though is, do you need a sp- like a specific jar for that? Uh, like a glass uh, mason jar is definitely helpful. The deal with the, so pickling is not, pickling is just another cooking technique, right? And you can Mm -hmm. apply pickling to anything. You can pickle fish, you know, pickled herring is is a delicacy in a lot of parts of the world. In Sweden. In Sweden, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but so pickling is just a technique, right? So all you need to pickle is a hot brine, right? A good rule of thumb is two parts water, one part vinegar. Having some white distilled vinegar or rice vinegar or cider vinegar around is great because they're really versatile pickling vinegars. But, you know, use what you have. Um, and then, you know, a pinch of sugar, a pinch of salt, whatever spices you have, you know, things like coriander or caraway are, are great. Um, sweet spices like cloves are really good. But it's as open-ended as you want and as easy as you want. If you just want, you know, two parts water, one part vinegar, a little sugar, a little salt, coin up some carrots, dump hot hot brine over it, and then let it cool, then you have pickles. Wow. So That's that easy? Yeah. Oh, it's super easy. I know. That's why I want <laughs> I want you to just try it, and then I think you'll realize, oh, wow, I could have been doing this all well, along. Well, I got the, as far as actually Googling a recipe, having the carrots out on, like, a chopping board, and I was ready to go, but then for some reason I felt too overwhelming. And I think yeah. the recipe called for like a specific lid to the to the jar. Oh yeah. And I was like, I don't have that, so then I stopped. Yeah. See, yeah. I was just being too lazy. Okay, that's <laughs> um, and next time I talk to you, I will tell <laughs> Riley I pickled my first carrots. We'll have. Oh, a you'll f- be proud of me. <laughs> we'll have a follow up episode just to figure out how your pickling is going. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So, um, since you a little bit tapped uh, into the organic part of things, um, why should we eat organic over non organic foods? And foods in general? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
I mean, here's the thing. So at Imperfect, we offer organic and conventional produce, right? We really want to provide people with the choice that works right for them. So in in some sense, we're kind of agnostic in terms of which one people should eat uh, in that, you know, people have constraints in their lives. Right? So not everyone has access to or can afford organic produce, and that's okay. Um, if it's really important to your environmental values that no pesticides have been used and it's grown in an organic way, you know, we support that and want that to be true for you and want to make that happen. Uh, if that's not a top priority and you'd rather just save some money or you'd rather just have any carrots than no carrots, then that's great too. And, you know, we're not ones to judge. Um, you know, I think it's important to recognize that most, any anything on the, on the edge of sustainability is going to be full of compromises, right? So even within organic, like, Certified organic is, you know, it takes a ton of time and money to become certified organic as a grower. So there's a lot of people that are stuck in transition or they can't quite, they don't quite have the money to make it happen as a grower, right? So they're, they're farming in a really ecological way, but you know, you have to have farmed organically for, I think it's over three years and, and really stuck to a regimen to be certified organic. So I don't know. I, I think it's, I don't want people to get hung up on the labels, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I'm getting at. Like, I think, if you're concerned about pesticides, and I think there's increasing evidence that we all should be concerned about pesticides, I think minimizing your exposure to them is really important, and eating organic as much as possible is a great way to do that. Um, I do think there are non-organic growers that are doing things the right way that you know should get some credit too. Um, I think in general, all I ask is that you know people, you know, ask some questions about where their food's coming from and whether or not you, that leads you to buying organic. I just think it's important that people think about how it's grown because. Mm-hmm. What we know, I think, as a society increasingly is anything that's done really far away in a big mechanized industrial way is often not great for your health. It's not great for the health of the planet. And so as much as you can try to bring things on a smaller scale, a little closer to home, and in some sense, that's going to mean a little bit more pricey or less convenient, but in, you know, healthier, like, I think that's the direction we want to be moving in. Um, you know, you run into all sorts of, if you go down this rabbit hole, there's all sorts of questions of, oh, is there enough organic produce to feed everyone right. on the planet? Some people say absolutely yes. Some people say absolutely not. I think the reality is a lot more in the middle than kind of either camp wants to admit. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of organic. I try to shop organic when I can. Um, but I understand also that, like, eating right is full of compromises. So I, I also want to respect kind of the compromises people have to make, both the growers and uh, the consumers at the For end. sure. And yeah. I think also um, not being, like you said, so hard on, like, organic or not organic, but try to buy locally. Yeah, totally. I think seasonally is probably the most important factor. And don't have uh, an exotic fruit shipped from, you know, southern parts of South America or whatever. Because it's going to have a big impact on the planet because it's been shipped somewhere and most likely not that organic because if you do buy organic proof from so far away, it's going to be bad by the time it gets here. So just trying to be more open to, and now we happen to be fortunate to live in California where yeah. we have a very good you know, produce all yeah. year round. So harder for people like Northern Sweden, for example. Sure. Yeah. And we're, we're totally spoiled here. You're right. Uh, yeah. In Northern California, but you know, we have imperfect customers in Chicago and in Indianapolis. Now we're about to launch in Milwaukee. So you know, you're asking a really timely question for us as a company because the reality is it's all it's all compromise, right? And so I think my big takeaway from what I've learned is what you just said, that eating seasonally is very important, almost more than anything else, because I'll, I'll just give you three reasons. You know, one, it tastes better. 
Something that's in season and being grown somewhere near you and not on the other side of the world is going to be fresher and more delicious and more full of nutrients. Um, the other one is, yeah, if you care about food miles, you know, how much carbon dioxide was emitted just shipping your food to you, it's better to eat seasonally, you know, eat what's being grown near you. And I think the third reason is health. You know, eating seasonally makes you eat a wide range of things and not just like potatoes and bread all year round, mm -hmm. you know, because you'll, you're going to eat the citrus when it's in season in the winter, and then you're going to come into the spring and you're going to have some asparagus, and then you're in summer and you're eating stone fruit, and then you're fall and you're eating some root crops and your leafy greens, and then it's winter and you try Brussels sprouts, and it just forces you to mix it up a bit, which I think is really good for your health. And I think actually um, somewhere we are meant to eat what whatever the earth has in season right now, like Totally. For health reasons, yep. we will feel better. Yep. And I know for a fact that in the wintertime, I do much better with like mushy foods like oatmeal or like mashed potatoes. Hearty stuff, hearty right? Stuff. Stick to your ribs. Yep. Like if I do like a, a, um, a raw salad, I just, yep. my stomach will get really upset for some yep. reason. So yep. it's interesting when you like start to listen to your body and like reflect on, a, oh, what, what time of the year is it? Maybe I shouldn't be eating this kind of food right now. I don't have to import it from whatever country. Yep. So for sure. Um, one more thing I really want to talk about is composting, and mm, I feel yeah. like it's an, a topic that's growing in awareness, and a lot of governments actually are installing like um, systems and laws that you yeah. have to compost if you can. And um, I've, I've been given a lot of questions about it and why it's important and what this whole process does. So do you want to give some more insight to it? Totally. Yeah. Um, so I grew up, my mom was composting from a long, you know, from when I was really little, like before it was cool. And I remember, I think once I realized what it was, I thought it was so cool because, you know, you're turning what would be trash into essentially, you know, living soil, like something that can help grow more food. And I just think that's so cool just from an ecological standpoint, mm -hmm. a scientific standpoint, you know, you're taking what could be actually very harmful. The thing a lot of people don't realize is when food decomposes in a landfill, right, it decomposes without oxygen anaerobically, and that produces a lot of really harmful gases, including methane, which is a greenhouse gas that's actually way more powerful than CO2, yeah. right? Everyone's thinking about methane emissions from cattle, which is a huge source of methane. But another one is when food breaks down in landfills, and food is one of the biggest components of our landfills right now unnecessarily right because if you're yeah if you're looking at the hierarchy of outcomes for your food scraps you know ideally you're feeding a person if you can't feed a person ideally you're feeding an animal of some form you know helping it feed some other living thing if you can't feed that at least feed the soil mm -hmm. don't feed the trash the trash doesn't need doesn't to be need fed food. exactly it's big enough as it is what's really amazing about compost is basically you're taking two things you're taking you know food products which are rich in nitrogen and then um things like uh, paper or leaves, um, and those are rich in carbon, and you're combining them, and over time they basically become, they break down and become soil, which is rich in different microbes and fungi and things that then can grow more food. And that, I think, is just so beautiful watching. And you know, it's, it's the whole, like, Lion King circle of life thing. When you do it right, you create really rich uh, fertilizer. So if you're listening to this, please compost if you can. The, the caveat there is, like, not all cities allow you to compost. It's not as easy. Like the, Again, we're really spoiled here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. I have friends in Los Angeles that say it's much, much harder. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of municipal areas are still waking up to this as something they should offer. Um, I mean, I will say you can build a, a compost pile in your backyard pretty easily. There's a bunch of different options from literally just a pile to different tumbler systems where you can keep it enclosed and spin it. Um, you know, there's 
there's things like sheet mulching where you kind of layer like paper and food scraps. And then it's like this lasagna. Uh, you can have vermiculture or worm composting bins. You can actually keep under your sink in your kitchen if you live in an apartment. There's a lot of ways to get creative. You know, if you have a community garden in your area, most mm -hmm. of those will have a compost pile. So definitely, I think it's worth looking into if you can. Um, it's just, again, something very manageable and easy that all of us can do to help reduce waste. I think also something that each... Um... It should each city should be doing so if it's not happening right now where you live maybe you know get some neighbors together or friends and have a list sign and actually go talk to someone who's in charge of it totally can happen because i think it's not a big of a step really um no. and so many cities are starting to do it and then, like you said too like there might be a community garden around or like you do some research yeah uh, knowing that you can make a huge impact just not feeding the garbage but feeding the soil instead which yeah. is really beautiful yeah, we, we had an event in Portland, Oregon for Earth Day, um, and the local congressional representative stopped by. Wow. And he was the most inspiring man. He arrived on his bicycle and gave this rousing speech about why the farm bill matter matters and what we can all do to help ensure that our country is growing the right things. And that just made me realize, like, you know, our elected officials are really accessible, especially on the local level. You know, mm -hmm. your, you know, senators, I think, are a bit harder to get to, but your representatives from your county, like, write them a letter, show up at their office, you know, show up at one of their events, write them an email, you know, make your voice heard. Because especially, yeah, things like at the local level, how we deal with waste, how we deal with food, you know, whether or not an area is zoned to have a community garden or not, like, that really matters for how we feed each other and how, you know, we help the environment. So. And they're going to be happy, too, to know that people care. They, yeah, they, they want to see yeah, people being engaged. Absolutely. They want people to care and they want, they want to do what their constituents really care about. So if you care about things like composting, make that known. If you care about things like your local grocery stores having resources for what to do with their food so they don't have to throw it away, you know, make that known as well. All of this stuff is malleable, it's changeable, but we have to speak up about what matters to us. For sure. So one final question on the composting side, because me, myself, sometimes I, I struggle with knowing what goes into composting and what doesn't. So what's new to me actually is paper. I didn't know paper was compostable. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, right. so paper is the carbon side of things. And mm -hmm. I think most of us think about compost as onion skins and avocado pits and all that. But yeah, you know, paper, assuming it has, you know, natural, if it has printed material on it, if it's a natural dye, it's all compostable, which is really great. Um, if you have, yeah, if you have a paper shredder, that's a fun way to add paper to your compost. Oh, um, my, my mom used to do that. And yeah, it helps it break down faster. That's another thing. If you're composting, um, the smaller pieces it's in, it will break down faster. So if you look at like the big municipal composters, they kind of shred everything once they get it to help it break down in a really even fast way. Cause something like an avocado pit, like it's going to take a while. So if you, if I order food and it comes in like a compostable bin, like yeah. sometimes says this is biodegradable, I can compost it. Yeah. I think most of that stuff's designed for a municipal composter where there's a ton of stuff and it gets really hot. That's mm -hmm. the thing, you know, your home composting thing might not get kind of the critical mass to like really get going. Right. But if you have municipal composting. So if I'm composting in the city composting system. Yeah, that, that's totally fair game. Um, yeah, and increasingly, I think municipal ones now can accept um, things like bones and, like, different uh, animal scraps, too, if you eat meat. Um, so, you know, definitely read up. Like, each area will tell mm -hmm. you what they accept and don't, but uh, it's a pretty big spectrum of things. Very interesting. I'm learning so much. Yay. It's really cool. I think, again, back to making it a challenge and not, you know, be too overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. It's just totally. about, like, embracing the learning curve. And, yeah. Um, it's Be a fun excited. learning curve. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And like also with the, like the cooking part of things, it's like 
just have fun with it. And if you happen to like screw up a meal one time, it's fine. Like yeah. no one died. It didn't taste as good as you expected it to, but you learned and then you try it out differently the next time. Totally. You know, they say about like starting to work out, for example, the the regime you're going to stay with, the exercise regimen you're going to stay with is the one that's easy and fits into your life. It doesn't matter what it is, whether that's yoga or weightlifting or running or Pilates, like as long as it fits into your life. And I feel the same way, you know, any habit change, especially with cooking more, it's whatever you're going to stick with. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just, yeah, it should be like you said, it should be fun. It should be empowering and exciting. And if it's not, yeah, find a way to make it um, bite-sized, you know, start with that one thing, try that pickle project or try the carrot cake or the zucchini bread or you know, because I feel like with cooking, it's kind of like this spiral. Like once you learn one thing, it's easier to learn two things and then it's easier to learn five things and then 10 things. And like each new skill set kind of gives you access to to new ones. So you can kind of level up. For sure. And one thing, one more thing I thought about as you were talking um, about zucchini, because actually I received a zucchini and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I knew instantly that I'm not going to cook the zucchini this week. So actually chopped it down in pieces and I froze it. Nice. And now I use it in my smoothies because I think it adds a really, really nice texture to it. So that's another thing you can do. If you know for, for sure that I'm not going to use this before it goes bad, yep. freezing is a very good way of preserving things. Totally. No, you hit the nail on the head. I love that. I think tactically using your freezer, again, that's a huge leg up that you have. And so use that power. You know, think, yeah, you can freeze like extra kale if you have it. Um, a big thing I'm a fan of is making vegetable stocks. Mm. So I'll save, you know, odds and ends of aromatic vegetables, things like carrots, leeks, onions, celery, garlic, mushrooms are really good. And then just simmer them for about an hour and then you get a really rich broth, strain that off. And then I throw it in containers and put it in the freezer. And then I have that as a soup base or a sauce base, or I can cook my lentils in it or cook mm. rice in it. And then you just, you have that on hand. So then when you go to make a more ambitious recipe, you've essentially already done half the work by using random odds and ends, right? So there's all sorts of cool efficiencies of scale once you start wasting less. Um, I think, you know, the world of restaurants has a lot to teach us about that because, you For know, sure. restaurants make their money by wasting as little as possible. So things that they do, like different pickling projects and fermentation and making stocks and fun recipes with scraps, like some of the most delicious stuff and, and something for all of us to learn. So Yeah, I, I worked for this bakery for 10 years back in Sweden. Uh -huh. And one of our most, um, um, one of our most favorited, whatever, favored uh, cookies we had is actually whatever is left by the end of the day because we bake daily. Yeah. Um, we just put in the freezer and then they, that gets like just mushed down mm -hmm. and it becomes this like paste. Yeah. That's actually really good. Oh, so yeah. when people are like, what's in it? Like it's just old cookies. <laughs> People don't believe us. No, it's true. Like, we just take whatever scraps are left, and that becomes this delicious cookie. So, so true. Yeah. You gotta be resourceful with things. That's a beautiful metaphor. And my, my first chef, um, Jesse, told me about he worked one of his first jobs was at a sushi restaurant and they made this legendary carrot ginger salad dressing that came with like the first course you got and he told me this kind of secret was exactly what you said they'd use all the random ginger scraps and carrot peels and make this addictive salad dressing mm -hmm. out of it. So, Every time there's a thing you might waste, there's actually kind of a delicious potential in it. You just have to kind of know know where to look and know what to do with it. For sure. I love that. So one thing that I've learned actually is that, you know, you can use a lot more from food that you think. And I try to be very intentional. Like I'm also from laziness, but I never peel my carrots and stuff. I like just rinse them. And because I, I learned a lot of nutrition in the peel itself. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other like things we can learn from using the whole food and not wasting anything? 
Totally. That's a really great question. Um, and the reality is there are tons. And, and this is a huge opportunity, again, to waste less. Like an easy way to waste less is utilize more parts of what you bring home, right? Because, you know, you wouldn't buy a pair of socks and throw one out. But that's a lot of the time how we treat our food. We bring a leek home and we throw out the greens and the root. Or we bring carrots home and we chop off the greens. Same thing with beets. Um, there's a ton of ways to use this stuff. You know, beet greens are essentially chard. It's the same botanical family and the greens taste almost identical to chard. So saute those down in your next omelet mm. or add them to a salad. Um, carrot greens taste a ton like parsley. So you can use those to great effect in things like carrot top pesto. You can make a really delicious chimichurri sauce. Like there's a lot of options here. Um, I'm trying to think some of my other favorite ones. Oh, I mean the broccoli plant. I think the broccoli plant is one of the most misunderstood plants out there. And the reason is an adult broccoli plant, when we harvest it, is about two feet tall and three feet across. Like it's the size of a small person. Oh, wow. And yet each plant produces one flower, right? We eat the flower, the head, which is gorgeous. It's sweet. It's tender. It's amazing. And I love broccoli. However, what about the rest of the plant? Right? Like what we do to broccoli is equivalent to if we brought home a cow, slaughtered the cow, and only used the filet mignon and threw out everything else. Oh, wow. So broccoli leaves, they're edible, right? Mm -hmm. They are often not sold at stores because stores don't think people want them, but they taste almost identical to kale. They taste kind of like a mixture of kale and collards, super nutty, savory, really healthy, like packed full of calcium, right? So we have been working to source broccoli leaves on and off. Those are an amazing thing that people should utilize if you're growing broccoli at home, if you have a garden, eat the leaves. They're really amazing. The other thing, broccoli stems. I love them. <laughs> Again, yeah, so you're you're on it. That's great. They're, they are more fibrous, right? So you have to get kind of crafty with them, whether that's shredding them and adding them to a fritter or cubing them up and roasting them off. Or like in a stir fry. Just in a stir fry, in. yep, mm -hmm. exactly. But, you know, know that there's you can eat most parts of most fruits and veggies we buy. If you're a meat eater listening to this, you know, when you roast a chicken, for example, save the, the carcass, right? Save the back and whatever bones you don't eat. You then can simmer that in water and you get a delicious, healthy, savory broth, right? So anytime there's a thing you might waste, again, kind of conventional culinary wisdom and especially like chef wisdom, like how restaurants operate, there's a use for that. So there's always a way to tap into that ingenuity and, and really use everything. And one thing I do want to say right now is just skip the excuses because yeah. they're starting to build up with me. I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't have time to learn all this stuff. I don't have the knowledge. You know what though? Skip one Netflix episode a week. Just bring your partner, your friend, yourself to the kitchen. Make it a party. Exactly. Yeah. Make it fun and be like, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to master this new skill. Or just make it a monthly thing. Yeah. Like um, every month you want to learn something new in the kitchen. I love that. So don't overwhelm yourself again. Yeah. But like the knowledge is out there. Mm -hmm. If you have a phone or a computer or a yeah. library close by where you can go use a computer, there are yeah. no excuses. Just it's not hard. Yeah. You know, the science is out there. And we can make a big difference in helping the planet and, you know, helping ourselves. It's, it's healthy for us to know about how to care for food also. And also to know when you talked about composting side of things, like it's not just you wasting money if you throw out food. You are adding methane into the air because yeah. that will sit in landfills and just not do any good. Yeah. Uh, it's going to harm the planet a lot. So it's almost like a duty to like learn more and to be more um, playful in the kitchen, but also more savvy. And I, I love cooking. I think most people actually do. We just like grown up in a society where we just don't know too much about it. And we fear what we don't know. So true. I think yeah, you just said it really beautifully. I would just add a couple of things. One is like, 
I think, you know, you can never, with any change, you can never say, I don't have time for it. You know, you have to make time. You have time for anything if, if you're willing to make mm-hmm. it a priority, right? And in terms of priori- prioritizing things, I think investing in your health and the health of the planet, like it's one of the more worthwhile investments we can make, right? In terms of, yeah, if you're eating, if you're listening to this, if you're eating this, I got food in the brain. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're looking to live a better life, you're looking to be healthier, you know, what you eat is central to that. You know, it's like 70% diet and 30% exercise, right? So investing in eating more whole fruits and vegetables is just an easy, easier way to be healthy. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, it's within all of our control. And I think the good news is we're we've there's never been a better time to learn about cooking there are so many resources at your fingertips if you are holding a smartphone right now open up youtube and there are so many amazing cooking videos mm-hmm. right cooking content has never been more widely available you know go to rec- uh, websites like epicurious or bon appetit or new york times recipes and there are some recipes from the, some of the world's best chefs at your fingertips like there's never been a better time to learn about cooking and so that that always makes me feel really optimistic is like it's not that hard. It's within our control, and the, the resources are there, right? And it's just about making that little switch. And even, like, if you don't even know how to start, like, if you don't even know how to chop a carrot, there's going to be a video of someone, like, totally. how to chop yeah. a carrot. <laughs> and it's fun. And, like, again, in terms of empowering yourself as an individual, being able to cook for yourself is one of the most gratifying yes, things you that. can do. Yeah, because you're taking, again, you're taking control of something that... If you let other people do it for you, it's going to be unhealthy. It's going to be expensive. You know, eating out is really expensive. You know, getting food delivered to you is really expensive, not to mention all the plastic and the emissions and all that. And I think the other side of gratitude I just want to touch on is I think one of the easiest ways to not waste stuff is to be grateful for it. Mm. Whether you're talking about even just like a relationship in your life, one of the easiest ways to not take it for granted is to take a moment and express gratitude. And they've actually done studies that you can't be stressed or angry while you're grateful. It's just not possible. Your brain doesn't work that way. And for me, what I've found with food is once I started getting my imperfect box, I found myself wasting less because once something was in my kitchen, it was delivered, I found this kind of almost holy duty to use it Mm. because I felt like this profound gratitude of, oh, wow, look at these beets. They're beautiful. Look at this sweet potato. Look at these peaches, these avocados, whatever it is that's in season. Once you're grateful to have it in your life, you then will take the time. You'll make the time to use it, right? And so it's like, again, it's a little change that suddenly colors how you see everything else. And and that makes you just a less wasteful, more grateful person. And, you know, what a beautiful change to bring into your life. Amen. Oh, everything you just said. So perfect. Thank you. Imperfect. Oh, imperfect, but perfect. Perfect imperfection. That's one of my favorite quotes. Um, Riley, it's been such a pleasure having you here in my closet, sipping green tea very quietly as the other person speaks, because that's how we do things. My boss always makes fun of me because I sip green tea really loudly. (laughs) We just said no sipping or slurping as we're talking, but I think we maybe nailed that one. Anyhow, it's Friday afternoon. We're about to do weekend. And I would love to wrap up with my final three questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, number one. This is a fun one. Uh, If you were to create your own Pokemon to represent you and who you are, uh, and you get to choose the name and its powers, who would this Pokemon be and what can he do? That is such a great question. Wow. Okay, so I was a huge Pokemon nerd. I had a huge binder of Pokemon as a little kid, and I was really into the plant Pokemon. So I think, first off, it would be a plant Pokemon. One, because it's my favorite color, which is green. And also because, you know, I, I really love the natural world, and I've always loved gardens. You know, growing up, I spent a lot of time in my mom's garden. I think it would be a plant Pokemon. I think it would be something like um, like Communicasaur. 
that's a weird name, but I'm going to go with it. And I think its power would be connecting people in positive ways. And I think, I I think bridging the gap between different uh, spheres of, of knowledge and getting people that work in one field excited about another field or informed about another field. Cause that's kind of long been a passion of mine. And, and that's something I'm really grateful to get to do in my role at Imperfect. And I think the world needs more connections. So I think this Pokemon would be a proud connector of people and yeah, getting uh, business people and tech people excited about cooking. And uh, I guess I'm basically just describing myself in just, Japanese cartoon form. I was just going to say, I look at you now and I see this like leaves like growing out of your head. Yeah. Imagine, yeah, it's like a, a golden retriever or a border collie, but it's like covered in these big vines and leaves. Mm. And it's just oh, got so it's this. It's like a dog. Okay. It's like a dog, but it's got some like ferns growing out of it. And it's got a big smile on its face. And it's just stoked to come say hi to you and, and talk your ear off about, you know, seasonal cooking it's one of those like things that strokes his head against yeah him, exactly like, it's like hey he walks up to people on yeah. the streets and like hey you should talk to this let's hang out yeah that, Love that's it. me in pokemon I feel like, form i feel like the world needs a pokemon just like that that's I'm, I'm trying i'm trying to bring it to the world okay good <laughs> let's manifest it yeah all right number two what would you say is something you learned about yourself in the past five to ten years that you are incredibly grateful for and how has this made you look differently on life what a wonderful thought-provoking question that's really great. Um, I think the big one, so I said, you know, I, I started off and one of my first jobs was working in restaurants and working as a line cook. And while I don't do that anymore for a living, you know, people are always asking me, oh, you're ever going to go back to kitchens? The truth is no. Like I, that lifestyle is not for me. I have so much respect for my friends that are still in the industry, but I just know that like, it's not, it's not for me. However, I'm so grateful that I did it. And here's the reason why I think working in kitchens teaches you this kind of stoic wisdom and this mentality to have about life that I think is really healthy and grounding, which is that in the peak of the dinner rush, you don't really get to be upset. You don't get to choose to be annoyed that you have to do a bunch of work, that it's really busy, that you're stressed, that you're in a hot, small space assembling food really fast for other people. That's not a luxury you have because you have to get moving and get food out the door. That's all you have to do. And you're kind of liberated from your whole range of emotions because in that moment, you just have to be productive and efficient and in the zone, right? You know, they say athletes really thrive when they're in the zone. I played sports growing up, but I never really understood that until I cooked. And then you hit this kind of moment, you know, at like 7.30 on a Friday where suddenly you're just like flying and you're moving faster than you thought you could. And there's like a weird joy and focus in that hectic busyness. and that's like an attitude I've really taken from kitchens that I think has really made me a better person in that, you know, sometimes it you don't get to be upset. And that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's life is cruel and random and all over the place a lot of days. Um, but you can't control what happens, but you always can control how you react to it. Right. So you get to color your life by the glasses you put on in that moment. You can you can be resentful and say, woe is me. It's really busy. I have so much to do. No one understands. But that doesn't really make you any more effective as a person. And it actually makes happier. Exactly. It makes you less happy. Whereas if you say, hey, this is tough. This is out of my control. I'm doing the best I can to stay afloat and I'm going to get through this. And one day this will be just a funny memory. That's empowering, and that allows you to tell a better story about yourself. So, And it makes you feel good about yourself. Totally, yeah. Like, ultimately, you're always in control of your perspective if you realize that you mm, are, right? I know. It's so hard, especially, you know, with push notifications 
and 24-hour news and all this stuff that's just flooding our lives with information and noise and friends interrupting you and Slack messages and emails and all these things that are whizzing about. But um, if you take a moment to take a breath, like you always have control to color the situation in your favor. And I think that's just such a profound lesson that I was lucky to learn, you know, through really hard work. I think there's a huge value in hard work that way. And yes, I'm really grateful for Kitchens for that, for teaching me that I get to control how I react and that I'm a lot more resilient than I, I thought I was. You know, like a really tough moment like that will make you rise to the challenge and kind of discover your inner uh, mental strength, I think. Sure. And like I said, I also, I worked for a coffee shop. Had yeah. A very, not kitchen experience, but similar experience for yeah. 10 years. And there was definitely days when I'm like, I do not want to spend my next nine hours. Right. Here in the crazy store on a Saturday when everyone has wants to have coffee and, you know. Everyone needs something from you. Right. And it's just like people are, you know, upset because it's a long line and a waiting list or whatever. Yeah. But I remember thinking... Like, this person's coming in and ordering a latte from me. Yeah. And I want to make sure this is the best damn latte I've ever made every single time. Because this job may not matter for me. I can stand here and just be dreadful these nine hours because it's not my dream job. Yeah. However, someone is coming in to treat themselves a latte. Mm -hmm. I can decide to give that latte love and, like, I'm going to do my best to give you your best, you know, experience at this coffee shop. And also, the people running the coffee shop. It's mm-hmm. their dream. Yeah. You know, who am I as an employee to not do my best there? And the biggest part of it is also, how will I enjoy it best? If I'm standing here being pissed at the fact that I'm stuck inside a coffee shop or seeing it as, oh, I'm getting to meet all these people. I get to make the best lattes in the world. It's, I just want to say, you nailed it when you said you are in control of how you want to perceive in any moment, any given moment. And the sooner we realize that, we can literally change our lives. Totally. I, I love that. I mean, yeah, in any moment, I think you have the power to either give something or take something, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in that resentful state of, oh, I can't believe all these people need things from me, then yeah, you're taking something. You're taking the energy yes. and the positivity from the world. Or you can give. You can be generous. And I think the world is only as good as we are all generous. Um, I love... Have you read uh, This Is Water by David Foster Wallace? I have not. I highly, uh, highly recommend, uh, just a plug for anyone listening, listen to it. You can listen to it or read it. It's a commencement speech that David Foster Wallace gave at Kenyon College in the early 2000s. And one of the huge takeaways he said was that we all choose what to worship in our lives, right? Like nobody is not religious. Like we're all worshiping something. And ultimately the challenge and opportunity of adulthood is deciding what to assign meaning to. Because, yeah, if you're, let's say you're the customer at the coffee shop you're working at and you choose to say that everyone's out to get me and I can't believe this line is so long and Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get my latte and I'm late to my meeting and I'm frustrated about my job and, you know, I don't have any friends. Like, you're actively coloring the world against you. Or you can say, hey, it's, it's a busy day. It's rough. It's hot out. People are stressed. This barista might be fighting her own struggle, too. You get to choose that. So, yeah, one of the biggest things we all get to do, I think, is just choose what to assign meaning to. So some things in life are really meaningful, and that's beautiful. And some things, you just have to let them go as meaningless yes. or, like, not in your control, you know? Not everything has to be amazing and perfect and yeah. magical. Yeah, a lot of things are ridiculous and full of misunderstandings and contradictions, and that's okay. That's the world. It's... That's the beauty of life. Exactly, yeah. The clarities. That... Yeah. Yeah. All right, my final question, because here on Hey Change, we're all about spreading positivity and good news. So please share something with us that you feel super optimistic about right now that we can take with us into our day. 
Okay, I have, t- I have two things. Can I share two? Definitely. Okay, uh, well, one, I want to start off by saying, like I think a lot of you, I was really sad to learn of Anthony Bourdain's passing recently. Uh, really hit me hard, you know, as someone who came up in the food industry and also read a lot of his writing. But I think, again, it's a really valuable opportunity for all of us to talk about mental health. Uh, so something I found out about the other day, uh, my friend Tiffany from my Ultimate Frisbee team told me that there's a march every fall in here in the Bay Area, called, I think it's called Out of the Shadows, and the whole idea is raising awareness around mental health and especially suicide prevention. Mm. I had no idea this was a thing. You know, she's a friend of mine. I didn't realize there was a march I could be going to with her every year. You know, she has lost a couple of people in her life to suicide. Um, so that I found that really inspiring to know that there's this whole thing out there. We can be a part of destigmatizing mental health. And I think in doing that, allow, allow people to be their best selves, right? By understanding that, yeah, we're all imperfect. Everyone has flaws. Everyone has their demons or yes. things they're figuring out. And that's okay. And I think anytime we can open up air and space for people to talk about stuff like that, it's huge. Because that might be the difference between, you know, the next Anthony Bourdain out there uh, choosing to, to do something rash or, or really value their life and invest in themselves. Um, so I was really excited to hear that there are, you know, marches. Like, I guess I was woefully ignorant of this, but there are marches and there's movements and you can donate money to, you know, the Association for Suicide Prevention and Again, like anytime there's a darkness, there's always a flip side to it of like, no, but like people are working to, to fight this um, and make it better. So, yeah, if you're listening to this, like, yeah, you know, reach out and hug someone in your life. And, and also, yeah, be, be a part of the positive change you want to see and, and just making people feel comfortable as themselves and aware that it's, it's okay to have problems. You know, no one has to be perfect all the time. I think social media gives this impression that everyone's like living their best life 110% of the time. You know, you're sharing your highlight reel with the world. And I think that kind of contradiction between the facade and whatever interior is and how kind of chaotic your life might actually be, like, that's really stressful for people. And so I think it's, I'm, I'm lightened to hear that increasingly people are okay coming out as imperfect people, you know? It's, because no one is perfect. No one is perfect. Like, everyone is struggling with something and that's okay. And we can all just help each other by acknowledging that and, and just supporting each other and meeting each other halfway. Not just Proteus is imperfect. Totally. It's <laughs> to humans too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on a food note, um, you know, so packaged food causes a ton of waste too. This is something Imperfect's been looking into a lot recently is the packaged food industry is just as wasteful as the produce industry. And one of the big culprits is expiration dates mm. and the fact that there's widespread misunderstanding about what they mean, like best buy, use buy, sell buy. The thing is none of those have any meaning except for um, best buy dates on baby formula. That's the only one that the federal government actually has recommendations for. Everything else is up to the manufacturer or the grocery store. And most of them are hyper-conservative estimates. So what that means is, I'm guilty of this, throwing stuff out before it's actually gone bad because you're worried about it mm-hmm. or you don't understand what the date on the box means. Um, the good news is I recently found out Congress is considering a bill to standardize this and make it efficient and logical and something that consumers can actually use and benefit from. Bravo, Congress. I hope that can pass. And the other one is a lot of packaged food manufacturers are actually taking it upon themselves to say, we can turn this around. Let's come to meaningful consensus about what these things mean, because there's no reason we we should be wasting perfectly good packaged food, right? There's no reason we should be wasting perfectly good food. It's such a weird problem of affluence that we're wasting up to 40% of food in this country while one in seven people are going hungry. Like, we owe it to ourselves and each other to find a home for this stuff. And yes. so I'm I'm lightened to hear that people are waking up to that. And, and yeah, even in packaged food industries, which are not the most sustainable industries traditionally, they're realizing this is ridiculous. Let's be a part of the solution and not like the punchline to this environmental joke. So 
bravo if you're working at a packaged food company or you're um, part of this congressional movement because I think it's, it's what the world needs right now is wasting as little as possible. Thank you again for tuning in today. I'm super excited to have you with me on this journey of change. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes. And if you have a minute over, please leave a quick review and some stars. Thank you. I'm also to be found on Instagram via the hashtag HeyChange or on my website, HeyChange.net. So please follow me and we can be friends. All right. Until next time, have an awesome day and don't forget to get out there and embrace some change.